call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 28 of Call It Friendo, the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Annika Tiernan, watched two classic Australian films, 1987's The Year My Voice Broke and 1971's Wake and Fright. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for both films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. At the time of recording, it's possible to find Wake and Fright on YouTube. And as we mentioned in the episode, you can find Flirting, the sequel to The Year My Voice Broke on YouTube as well. Please follow Call It Friendo Podcast on Instagram, like the Facebook page, leave a review on iTunes or any or all of the above. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at callitfriendopodcast at gmail.com or else we'll send the doc round to give you the once over. What have you been watching? I have watched this week's films, plus I also watched the sequel to The Year My Voice Broke, 1991's Flirting. I didn't have time. Ah, ah. Well, I know all kinds of things that happened to Danny Embling, the lead, the main character from The Year My Voice Broke, and Flirting. And thereby ah. to John Dugan. Yeah, it's pronounced Dugan, apparently. Okay, fair enough. I say I didn't have time mainly because I've been trying to find the time because I really want to watch that because I really, really, really enjoyed the year my voice broke. Besides Me that, too. though, though I have been watching uh, other things and other things that I have enjoyed. One particularly I want to give a shout out to uh, Lenny James's series, Save Me, in particular, Save Me Too, which um, was the second series of that, which I have watched this week. Uh, Lenny James, of course, he, I think Off he first, Snatch. Ki- yeah, yeah, I think he was first in uh, Solomon from Snatch. No, he said Solomon in, aggress- in an aggressive way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy, the jeweler from Snatch, who later went on to The Walking Dead. He had a stick in The Walking Dead and then Fear the Walking Dead. He's the only character to uh, be in both shows. And I um, remember him from uh, the Matthew McConaughey film Sahara. Oh, good show! He's a baddie in that. Lenny James has made a show for Sky, which may see a third season, but the first two are just absolutely fantastic. Really, really, really. So the story is, he plays a, a fella called Nelly, who's basically, and this is how I've heard Lenny James describe him in an interview, is your atypical L- London pub loudmouth who's just hanging around the place talking shite, who discovers by way of the police that his daughter, who he never acknowledged, has gone missing. And the reason we know that is because somebody faked being her dad online to lure her into a pedophile ring. Now, before I had your interest, but now I have your attention. Exactly. Um, Now you have my raised eyebrow. (laughs) But uh, they really, really, really give this the just, I don't know, the full tapestry treatment. It's just a a show that totally involves you in the world, not just of the pedophile trafficking. Actually, which, to be fair to the show... Is it similar to anything? Until I think... 
Um, mm, it's kind of sim- similar to The Office. <laughs> Could honestly, with the tapestry of characters and the setting, maybe I got vibes of Cracker. Just so like The off Office of with pedophilia, Cracker, mm, a Robbie uh, Coltrane I, classic. I really, really enjoyed it. Also finished season two of Banshee, which I reckon they have gotten to the end of the dramatic arc of the first two seasons. So it seems like in the third season, it'll just be whatever bullshit they come up with, which is what you really want with it. I can't honestly recommend Banshee to anyone. I I really can't. I enjoyed it enough. I mean, mean, season one. It's like a brain massage or something. It's all right, like. And uh, then this morning, I also watched... Five episodes of season two of The West Wing. Because I, mean, I had that to. Is a lot of TV. Yeah, I had to sit up in with, a week. Um, with, um, with my baby. Yeah, The West Wing is just very digestible. <laughs> what can I say? Is she is she voting for Bartlett? She is. She's she's on for Bartlett. But I tell you what. Right. Okay. In a completely different way to because The West Wing was emerging at the same time uh, at the same time as The Sopranos. The West Wing is good in a similar way, but it's still, it hasn't dated is what I'm saying. Like all the performances in it are still really towering, really charismatic. The writing is still great. It's a show that's aged really well. Um, And if anybody needs to stay up through the night, (laughs) the West Wing is a good shout, genuinely. How often, like how long does she sleep for? I'm talking about your daughter here, not your, your girlfriend. See, the issue is she sleeps mostly during the day, uh, but That's she could... The Do you know why that is? The reason why? for that is because you showed her Blade as her first film. <laughs> She's a daywalker. Yeah. I've been doing okay. I managed to watch both the films. That's impressive. So, the film that you won on last week was... Uh, you're welcome. You're my voice... Pardon? I said you're welcome. Ah, right, yeah. I loved it. What Actually, was your choice again? I don't remember. Aquarius. I yeah. And I'm way, like, I'm sure I would not have enjoyed Aquarius as much as I enjoyed this. I loved this. I thought yeah. it was brilliant. Did you? Me too. Yeah, I realized, like, I'm a big fan of coming-of-age films, and for some reason I'm really into Australian coming-of-age. I'm really into, like, Australian films for some reason. Yeah, me too, me I too. I have no idea why. And that is a good question. I'm in the same boat. Yeah, uh, I loved this, like, really properly. It got tears out of me and everything, and I just, I thought it was perfect in so many ways. It's a pity to hear the guy was a sex pest. His his relationship was legal, but frowned upon, let's say. He's yeah. in the Woody Allen category. He'll never go to, he'll never do jail time, but yeah, he- the moral standards have shifted, let's say. And he's kind of, uh, he's retired, essentially, hasn't he? He made, his last film was in about 2012, and I flicked through it a little bit, and it looked absolutely awful. It's about so um, if he has not retired, prostitute. He has lost it. His last film was in 2012. It's called Careless Love, and it's about a university student who secretly works as an escort, and it looks horrendous. I mean, that... As your final film is not a good look for somebody who's been accused of sex pestery. Did you read Tandy Newton's Vulture article? Yeah, I did. I think I read that a while ago, actually. But yeah, I also reread it. And so you saw that she said, 
she when she was talking about the sequel to the year my voice broke flirting she said that she's really good in it and she is she's genuinely like really really good in it and she was 16 at the time um but yeah she entered into a relationship with john Dygan and he was 39 she was 16 and she Jesus. actually the the fact that i she was the thing that she w- was the most angered by is what i what i've just done and referred to it as a relationship when she was like no i was groomed so did he have a reputation before this film a reputation for as a filmmaker yeah because you suggested this film the reason i chose this film is because i'm a big fan of noah taylor and ben mendelson like okay, their enough. careers, their their careers are really fascinating to me, because off of the back of Shine, I would say so. Like around the midnight, was at ninety five. Noah Taylor really started to break out at that point and got Hollywood gigs, and then he was in with Cameron Crowe. He was in Almost Famous, Vanilla Sky. He did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and. Things were going really well for him. At the same time, Ben Mendelsohn was in Vertical Limit in 2000. <laughs> yeah, and Ben. What what I find so uh, just to interrupt you there, but I like uh, I th- mm-hmm. like just to clarify indeed what you're saying is that uh, watching this, those two actors were born fully formed. I think it's fair to yeah. say, no. Ben Mendelsohn was Ben Mendelsohn as a 16-year-old. And I, I like, yeah. I've never known exactly what a character actor is when people say it, but I've always assumed it's something like Ben Mendelsohn, which is that, yeah. I might be wrong, which is somebody who can just nail a certain type of something. I mm-hmm. think he also might qualify for anti-hero vibes, but I'm not sure. But Ben Mendelsohn, just get ready for nobody in the room to feel safe. That's his vibe, right? So he went through a really, what looks like a tough period when Noah Taylor was coming up and doing like all that work in the early 2000s to like about 2010. It looks like Ben Mendelsohn was having a pretty tough time of it until Animal Kingdom. And then that's when they kind of flipped. And Noah Taylor has done much less work. He lives in Brighton now, Noah Taylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't appear to be doing a lot of acting. Whereas Ben Mendelsohn sort of has gone mad since then. I mean, obviously, yeah, like he's Captain in the MCU. Marvel, Ready Player One, uh, Rogue One, of course. Like, yeah, but, he's uh, everywhere like, now. He was in The Outsider. I feel like we've talked about it before, but I'll ask again. Have you seen Animal Kingdom? Not yet. Again, that's on my list. Uh, the David Michaud. David like, Michaud, as I think I Michaud, said last time. Yes. Ben Mendelsohn in. Animal Kingdom is just chilling, absolutely chilling. I think that, like, that was the one that seemed to turn it all around for him. Yeah, but but those vibes that he br- that he brings, I mean, he amplifies them and makes them sinister for that film. But those vibes are here in the year my voice broke, which I will just dig into the plot of right well, now. I was so. just going to say, I watched a YouTube video. Which is, I think it's from the 20, this was 1987, it would have been 2007, yeah. It was from the 20th anniversary of this film. It was a DVD extra, it's on YouTube, it's an interview with, so John Digan is in, I guess, in Australia with Ben Mendelsohn and uh, Loeen Carmen, who plays Freya. And then he also goes to Brighton and he interviews Noah Taylor. And it, it's interesting. It gives an insight into certain aspects, like the the laugh that uh, Ben Mendelsohn does 
mm. um, how that came about and, and like other aspects of the performance. Like they did a lot of rehearsal, as you can imagine. It's, a, like a it's unfortunate to uh, hear about the grooming stuff because it's possible that the grooming stuff makes for great young adult performances because all the young adult <laughs> actors in this are great. They're great. Really? This is why I brought it up because when you watch this interview, they they seem really awkward with him. He has this like school teacher vibe and they have the vibe of like pupils. So I don't know. I guess he's just like overbearing. And when and when was this documentary made? 2008, 2007, 2008. It was for yeah, for the 20 year Oh wow. So anniversary. Uh, ben Mendelsohn has some great pubes by this point, let's say. Yeah, and Ben Mendelsohn looks a bit like Benedict Cumberbatch at the point at this point and Noah Taylor looks insane. He looks like I don't know, he looks like a terrorist. <laughs> don't you think he looks like Eddie Izzard or something? Oh, I I this is I I'll I'll give you this and for anyone else, but go to Noah Taylor's Wikipedia page. He's got one of the worst profile photos I've ever That's seen. That's what I'm referring to. He d- yeah, yeah, he looks he, he looks like he's in drag. I don't know what's going on there, yeah. It's really, really bizarre. But anyway, in 2008, Noah Taylor looked like he was the, he was the king of the world, even in his little Brighton house. And Ben Mendelsohn was still, <laughs> like, trying to... He was coming up. Yeah. But how the turntables... The year my voice broke came out in 1987. I had never heard of it until you brought it to this podcast. I feel it's fair to say I absolutely loved it. Probably from five minutes in and then increasing amounts throughout because it begins like the Australian American graffiti. And I like American graffiti, but I mm, automatically. I seen American graffiti. I automatically. It just. And I, I would imagine you will. Um, this will ring true to you as well. But as a coming of age film, it's much more relatable than the typical fare you see American uh, coming of age films. For some reason, Australian coming of age is just very Irish country coming of age. And uh, I did identify with it wholly from beginning to end. Really, so maybe that's why I appreciate about it and about Australian. Australian films in general is like they still have this strong connection to what feels like frontier times, like similar to like the Wild West. But well, I, I think a, that, but a but stronger, I, but a stronger link to British or Irish culture, maybe. I think that, but also I think uh, just to give the filmmaking craft its due, I think these are automatically real locations, good, well-written dialogue. The score uh, and the music is is really interesting, and the cast is great. Mm. I think that really, really helps a lot as well. But anyway, so we open up, we're in the 1960s in a small town in Australia, I suppose. We don't really find out much about it. Um, it's in New South Wales. So yeah, exactly. So it's sort of out in the middle of nowhere, north of Melbourne and west of Canberra. Have you ever been to Australia, Andy? No, but I've... I'm definitely interested. I've been thinking more and more about it after watching some of these films. I'd love to go there too sometime. So we've got Danny, who who I initially thought was Ben Mendelsohn, if I'm honest. There you (laughs) go. They do look very similar. Yeah, yeah. As they've aged, they like they've got similar faces. And honestly, one of the notes I wrote down earlier was, uh, "Ah, well, look at this." 
the villain in everything now was a sweet boy in his uh, first film. But no, uh, that is uh, Noah Taylor, who plays Danny. And he's in love with his best friend, Freya, who is... I don't know. Yeah, her name's, like, her name's Louise Garman. Oh, the lady who plays her. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, I thought she, that's what you were reaching for the name. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, she's kind of. I mean, people would say she's an archetype nowadays, but I don't know. She's just too. I'm, I assume she's based on someone. Plus, girls like this exist. Anyway, uh, he's just mad in love with her, but just far too socially awkward to deal with it. And from the get-go, this film is so teenage, it's painful to watch. Mm. Which is one of the things I love about uh, teenage movies. Yeah, is being, yeah, yeah, yeah. Their sincerity, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's extremely honest, yeah. Like, everything seems like the biggest deal in the world, and anybody who's ever been a teenager <laughs> and wasn't a winner as a teenager is watching going, yes, yes, I know. It's, like, tough to watch. <laughs> it's so emotional. Anyway, he's mad for her. She is the daughter, later find out the stepdaughter of, I don't know, a couple who own a shop in the small town. And he is the son of uh, the people who own the hotel. And uh, th- they get along with uh, their lives as is. And then we're introduced one day to Ben Mendelsohn's character, who is uh, Trevor Leishman, who basically is a, a juvenile delinquent but he's a hot piece of ju- juvenile delinquent ass no it's funny that in it's what sport does he play rugby right yeah he plays rugby that's just funny again when you think about the difference of australia and the usa like you know it just feels you know he's <laughs> he's the uh, cool kid from the from the sports team but the sports rugby I don't know. It just, it doesn't feel as, you know, he's not, he has, there's, there's, there's no Letterman jacket or anything like that. Well, there's all sorts of stuff from this that feel weird that, okay, I'll uh, dig in on some of them with you. What about when he walks her home one night? Now, this is even before Leishman gets introduced. Are you talking about Danny? Oh, Danny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny walks her home and then he, he creeps around to the back of her house to watch her get undressed. (laughs) And he's staring at her in the windows and he says, he says to God, he's like, please, God, don't let her close the curtains. And then we've all uh, been there. Yes, we have. Indeed. Uh, I'm looking at you right now. And please, God, don't close the curtains. <laughs> <Andy>. <laughs> to close those curtains. So I'll try. <laughs> and uh, then she uh, closes the curtains. He says, please, oh, damn it, God, I met the blinds as well. Now. I don't know. People will feel uncomfortable with this watching this these days. And maybe this is the only opportunity to put this on record. But I guarantee you, if I had watched this film as a 12 year old, that scene would have been insane to me. Insane how? My whole body would have been reverberating with erection. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I could see that. I could see that. But I mean, this is the thing now when you consider this film that it's supposedly semi-autobiographical of John Dygan's life that in retrospect, I mean, it's perfectly normal. Like there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but like as times have changed and in retrospect, yeah, exactly. the, way that exactly. John, the way that John Dygan is viewed, it now has this weird creep element that it's not really, it's just like a normal thing. 
Exactly. Uh, yes, I am. I am advocating that teenage girl, teenage boys should spy on teenage girls. Can but you? I, I realize but, that sounds like that's why I'm advocating. But but were you including a? Were you writing a film today? Could you include that scene? You could if it was gay. <laughs> Jesus, you're right. And I don't mean, that's, you that's dare a crazy delete thing that. To say, but like it's a hundred percent. I mean, that's true. I mean, that it just like that's a fact. But. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm trying to think. Like, what's the modern coming of age? What's a serious modern um, heterosexual coming of age tale of fuck recent knows, times? Man. Fuck knows. I've no idea. Because I, I can think of maybe comedies, but I'm trying to think of like a serious. Because like when I think of coming of age films, the ones that come to mind are like Dead Poet Society, Rushmore, Stand by Me, Submarine. But of recent years of a serious coming of age, I don't know. I can't think. I'm sure about, there is. What about Booksmart? Does that count? See, now, I I really, really liked that. But, I mean, mm. it's like it's so funny. I guess it is also moving and it can be serious at points. But Anyway, so Danny does a bit of perving, um, but really he's not going to do anything. And then, um, as is the want of the countryside, uh, they're all out collecting bales together. And um, we get to witness the attraction between Trevor Leishman and uh, Freya, which, of course, um, Danny is just fierce upset by. But then it evolves like that because he's a hot piece of ass. I think it's now time to address the fact that, yeah, Ben Mendelsohn arrived fully formed. He's just a dangerous young fella in everything. I mean, he's he's, he's an absolute psychopath. Yeah, 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 but it, like it's it's not acting. It's just it's so convincing. Whatever he's doing, like any movement he makes, and it's the same with poor Noah Taylor. You're like, oh, you're pathetic. And uh, Ben Mendelsohn. I think both of them are really good because when yeah. you see them in interviews, it's clear that they're 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 both quite reserved. They seem quite shy, almost. But then they also have this strong passion for acting and skills i mean they're very skilled well it just shows don john dugan was was quite good at bringing out of Dugan. Dugan. anyway as it comes out freya is becomes quite attracted to um trevor then a kind of a group forms around the three of them and uh, some of the energy in that is speculation around who once lived in the haunted house which people do investigate and do speculate about Around this time also then, we see Trevor steals a car and uh, he picks up Freya to take her on a drive around the track. And Danny, sitting in the stands of some racetrack or other, witnesses the two of them having a big old smooch. And he's very upset by the whole thing. He doesn't rat him out or anything like that, but he's like, oh my god, he's stealing my girl, this is awful. And then... uh, Trev gets whisked off to uh, juvenile detention. This was the point where, like, I I made a specific note. I was like, this is so teenage, I can hardly bear to look at it. (laughs) Yeah. Which is the high achievement of the teenage movie, movie, I would say, no? Definitely, because it makes you so, it gives you some awkward embarrassment (laughs) thinking about your own life. It's so sincere, you can hardly bear to look at it. Like, legitimately, it's just really, really tough to get on with this. So the whole triangle continues on with the three of them 
because essentially because Danny is bullied in school because of course you've got bully dickheads. Uh, it's Australia. Australia is full of bullies, as far as I know, and they try to flush that. Well, so success. Seems. They f- successfully are flushing Danny's head down the toilet after he's after they've read a bunch of poetry that he's written about Freya. And then all of a sudden, Trev rushes into the bathroom, beats the shit out of the boys, which of course as well is like, that's perfectly timed teenage angst. It's like Danny does not want his head flushed down the toilet, but he does not want to be saved by Trev. It's like, why do you think Trevor does save Danny there? I think he likes Danny. He just is such a psychopath. It's hard for me. I was trying to decide if that's because he wants to like gain favor with Freya because she knows. No, like, I don't think Freya so. I, I don't think I don't think he could give less of a fuck. And I think that is done very well with Mendelssohn's performance. Mendelssohn mm. performs just like a general psychopath. He's just <laughs> he's just unhinged. Um, he's uh, hyperactive, and he does that crazy. <laughs> he does like, such a such a strange laugh. Yeah. That's it's true. It's really disconcerting. Anyway, yeah. they all go to the haunted house together and uh, Danny kind of insists on being there, uh, mainly, I think, because he's trying to pause the whole affair, but it's not going to happen because uh, Trev has sex with Freya in there, in the haunted house. And, That's um, the most awkward thing in the world, being a third oh, yeah. wheel in that situation. Oh, yeah, and actually, that's exactly that, because they all get spooked by some noise in there, and then when they run out, the police are waiting there for Danny because he nicked the lady's car. So, no, not, not Danny, for Danny, Trevor. For Trevor. Uh, so then Trevor gets whisked off to Juvie, and um, Danny decides, I'm going to spend my time when Trevor's in Juvie trying to impress Freya. But it doesn't really work, of course, because... But this is one of the reasons why this film is so painful, because we know why, Andy. Because <laughs> he's a nerd. Yeah, it's just because he's not impressive. And we get, like, you can tell looking at him if you've experienced this, is like, man, you might be impressive in your 20s, but give up now. Stop it. Stop it. Anyway, he goes along to a dance with a grand oversized jacket, and Freya is there in her own made-up dress. <laughs> That's and... a great look. <laughs> yeah, 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 he looks. Just... <laughs> he he has a brilliant look. He's wearing his sunglasses and yeah, massive leather jacket, it's and brilliant. smoking a billion cigarettes. Yeah, and then all of oh my yeah, there's so much uh, drinking, so much drinking and smoking in these films. It's yeah, out yeah, of control. yeah, right. Australian, typical Australian life. Then anyway. Um... Trevor arrives at the door and wins the day completely, and we can only presume uh, gets uh, Freya pregnant. Because soon enough, Trevor is on the run. Danny is being scolded by his parents, told to stay away from these people, etc. And investigating who actually was in the house, the haunted house that they had talked about. And then it was discovered well, he discovers by overhearing a conversation by his parents that it seems to have been a young lady who came along to the town by way of the railways and was basically just having sex with anybody who asked her to. She's like, is it is it su- is it suggested that she's a prostitute or is she just? No, no, I think she's just a mad young one. This is the thing that brought me to mind. Of um, you ever see the? Film Amarcord? No, what's that? It's a 
Federico Fellini film that he made in the early 1980s oh, okay. um, about mm. his experience as a young man. And there, there's a lady in the town who, did, like, everyone assumed was a prostitute, but it turns out she was just a loose lady. She would just have sex. She was just people. in it for the love of the game. Exactly. She was in it for the love of the you game. You have to respect that. Indeed. And um, off my cap. So it turns out the lady who had lived in the haunted house was one such lady and everybody had had sex with her, including very poorly uh, denied by uh, Danny's father. <laughs> like, <laughs> how Dan... <laughs> How Danny's father expects his... Because his wife says, Did you ever have sex with her? Pause. One, two, three, four. No! No, I absolutely did not. How dare you ask me that? Which I suppose the suggestion is at that point, it could be that Freya is Danny's sister. It could be. Right, That's- because right, cause Freya is the daughter of this of this lady. Yes, exactly. That's revealed too, and Danny overhears it. And yeah, my interpretation was, I mean, it, it's never so. Okay, so yeah, so Freya's revealed to be the daughter of this, the lady who was having sex with everyone who, who died uh, when Freya was born, basically. So um, she died just after childbirth, and it's not explicitly stated, but like I, I like to think that Danny's father is also Freya's father. But then the weird thing about that is if you watch Flirting, the sequel to this film, uh, Danny's parents are in it, but none of that is ever referred to ever again. <laughs> so well, yeah, yeah. if he does well, have a secret love child. You see, I haven't watched uh, Flirting, but I have read the fact that he pretty much wrote, uh, he pretty much wrote yeah, the year. Flirting my vo- was written first. Yeah, yeah. He wrote the year my voice broke. In order to get flirting made, flirting is much more autobiographical, apparently. Where are we in this actual story now? Very close to the end, because at this point it's been revealed, we've revealed that Freya is uh, the daughter of the, of the lady who is not very nicely referred to as the town bike. Yes, and yes, yes. She yes. died uh, just after giving birth. So all that happened, what happens then is that Trevor um is on the run he's on the lamb after breaking out of the detention center and he finds out that freya's pregnant so he wants to go and see her and danny makes that happen he takes uh he takes freya out to the haunted house where trevor's uh hiding out so he uh leaves freya in there but then yeah uh they get ambushed by that he hops in a car drives off and then soon enough they get the news that the car crashed and he died trevor is dead yes indeed so freya waits outside on a moor nearby where she liked to hang out until by way of cold she has a miscarriage and that's the last bit of trevor she has attached to her that dies Danny tells her about her parentage and she decides to bugger off to the big city. She's like, I've had enough of this. I'm gone. And she leaves. And uh, we learn from an adult uh, voiceover from Danny that he never saw her again. And uh, wow, I just thought this film yeah, was powerful. fantastic. I thought it was fantastic. Really. Uh, I definitely recommend checking out Flirting. Also, 
I, I will, I will. Sheerly, on account of my damn baby, I have not. Because, no, I, wow. I, well, I think as well, Tandy Newton has a point. He might have groomed her, but God damn, he makes good films. This is a great film. It's, oh, uh, also, Flirting is on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, you've, you, you've said that. Uh, well, no, sorry, you said that to me. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, but <laughs> no, if you, you want said to it watch to me in a message. Year my voice broke it is on YouTube. <laughs> you you said already said me. that. I said it out into the world. <laughs> yeah, so check it out. It's on YouTube, and it is. It's definitely worth watching. It's not as good as the year my voice broke, in my opinion, but it's got Tandy Newton, Nicole Kidman, uh, Naomi Watts, and uh, Noah Taylor playing the same character. I was very Danny surprised Indian. by the year my voice broke because I was sure that I was sure that I had recommended the best film from this week, but I ended up preferring the year my voice broke to Wake and Fright, even though I love Wake and Fright. How did you fare? I really enjoyed Wake and Fright as well. It's so weird because it's it I'd never heard of it before, and it's unusual. It's not that I've heard of every single film, but like. It's kind of bizarre to me that to just have this blind spot and then have it revealed, and then you Dude, start seeing I had the it exact same, I had the exact same experience when I first watched it. Honestly, like, uh, uh, yeah, so weird. You can find so many. You can find Robert De Niro raving about this film. There's a. a you can find Martin Scorsese raving about it. Nick Cave. Yeah. Like, uh, but yeah, I had never heard about it until it got its re-released. It's. Uh, our, Australia's lost film, apparently. Mm. Which did you prefer, though? Uh, I don't know if I could... You've got a coming-of-age film up against, like, a weird moral depravity psychological thriller. It's not really It's not really a fair comparison. Like, they're no, doing it's not. completely different things. I like them both for different reasons. Jeez, I'm glad you li- you, you like Wake and Fright, because uh, I... I like... oh, no, I think it's great. I think it's really oh. good. It's fantastic. I, I, uh, I personally, this time around, preferred the year my voice broke. But I remember the first time I watched Wake and Fright thinking, you know, that feeling going, my God, what am I watching? This is mm. intense it is shit. It is. Yeah, it's, it's great as well. Everything it sets out for it, it achieves, I feel. So Wake and Fright, initially released as Outback outside Australia, is a 1971 psychological thriller film directed by Ted Kotcheff, based on the 1961 Kenneth Cook novel of the same name. Ted Kotcheff, a Canadian film director, directed such films as Fun with Dick and Jane, First Blood, the original Rambo film, and Weekend at Bernie's. That's insane. It is, yeah. And Wake and Fright. I mean... What's going on there? Weekend at Bernie's and Wake and Fright. I've never mm. seen Weekend and Bernie's, but I understand the reference. Oh, I have. It's a classic. And I've also seen Weekend at Bernie's too. The film was released in the same year as another Australian Outback film that we already watched for the podcast, Nicholas Rogue's Walkabout. Walkabout. Both films were nominated for the Grand Prix at Cannes. Which film won? I'm just going to... Uh, good question. Let's have a look. Uh, it was Chronicles of Riddick. Ah, uh, that makes sense. The Go-Between. The Go-Between? Have you seen that? Julie Christie, Alan Bates, based on a Harold Pinter... No, it's a, sorry, it's a Harold Pinter screenplay of a novel by L.P. Hartley. No, I've never heard of it. All right, well, let's, let's add that to the list. Fuck that. 
It's like a, another lost film. Uh, the film was a commercial failure due in part to the fact that it contained real scenes of a sanctioned kangaroo hunt, which generated a great deal of controversy at the time. By the 90s, the film had become lost as the master negative had gone missing. Editor Anthony Buckley rescued the original film in 2004 and it was eventually remastered and re-released. On, well, or rather, it was eventually remastered and released on Blu-ray in 2009. This also included a screening at Cannes in the same year. The film was selected as a Cannes classic by Martin Scorsese, who had, who had originally watched it at its Cannes premiere in 1971 and has remained a, a big supporter ever since, describing it as a deeply unsettling and disturbing movie. There's, uh, there's an anecdote, I think Ted Kotcheff talks about it, that Martin Scorsese was sat in front of him uh, in the, uh, the 1971 screening at Cannes, just going like, oh my God, oh my God, the whole time. I've, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. When I first saw this a few years ago, it was because um, Empire Magazine had it as their masterpiece of the month, and I was just going, oh, wow, I've never heard this at all. The film starts with school teacher John Grant on the last day of term before Christmas in the fictional outback town of Tiboonda. Grant is played by English actor Gary Bond, who's possibly best known for originating the Joseph role in Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Bond was openly gay and in a relationship with Sir Ian McKellen at the time of filming Wake and Fright. Sadly, Bond's film roles were extremely limited. This was his third and final film. He eventually died of AIDS in 1995. Wow, that's a slam dunk of some info that's a lot of there. Info, huh? Yeah. There you go. Sir Ian McKellen was the, was the lucky fella. Got a bit of Gary Bondage. Yeah, he got a bit of Gary Bondage and survived. Wow. I I was not familiar with Gary Bond at all, and when I saw him like early on, he's right. saying on the train, he's very charismatic. He's very charismatic. Well, he looks like Peter looks, O'Toole. Yeah, he's 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 a handsome man, and we we get to see his body later on, and uh, yeah, yeah, mm, mm, I see what Sir Ian was was all about. Poor old fella, Diane, and indeed, and so forth. Anyway, and so forth. Grant is displeased with his teaching job in the Outback, which he's doing to pay back a study bond from the Australian government. He plans to head back to Sydney for the holidays and see his girlfriend Robin, who he daydreams about. His landlord and town barman Charlie is played by the great John Mellion, who was the father in Walkabout. He takes the train to the fictional mining town of Bundanyaba, usually shortened to the Yabba by the locals, and plans to stay only one night before flying to Sydney. At a loose end, he pops into the local bar, which is almost entirely populated with men. This is one of the booziest films I can recall. Yeah, you feel the beer in this, don't you? I know it's particularly beer. I wouldn't beer. say I was tempted to drink, but... <laughs> there's just something about seeing people slamming 40 beers where you look at one going, hmm... Hmm. But then it also shows you some of the uh, horrible possible side effects. Yes. Like shagging um, Donald Pleasance. <laughs> I, for me, this reminded me of the center of Ireland, to be honest. Um, my mm. mother is from a very small town in the middle of Ireland. Yeah, but sunny. Where I've got a funny story, actually. When my grandmother died like four or five years ago, my father would have been relatively familiar with the, because my father's not from that part of the country, he'd be from more the coast, the civilized part. And um, 
we, on the night, went over to the pub across the road from my grandmother's house to, like, have a couple of pints. And we went in there, and immediately I I felt like, you know, that whole Wild West sensation. Just arrive into the bar yeah. and everybody, everybody fucking stares at you. And, like, literally in this case, everybody stared at us. And there was a one, two, three, and then the barman said, Ah, Tom! Tom, is that you? Like, because my dad had used to come here back in the day. So we're like, oh, grand. And then he re- he knew that my grandmother had died. So uh, drinks were on the house. Because this, this is the upside of the country pubs that you don't hear about that much. Is that like, they they don't really care that much about money. They're, they, they're like clubhouses, you know. So our drinks were literally on the on the house for the night. And then at some point during the night, and still everybody just fucking staring at us, just bullets. And uh, at some point during the night, I went out to have a cigarette and uh, a guy was there chatting to me. And um, he goes, uh, are you, you're, you're Mary's grandson, are you? I says, uh, yeah, yeah, I am. He goes, uh, um, where are you at these days? I said, I'm living out in Barcelona. And then he proceeded over a few minutes to just take long drags of his cigarette. Not over a few minutes, probably over <laughs> one minute. But there was there was a long pause. And then just finished his cigarette and just goes, looks me in the eye and goes, haven't you a great fucking life, haven't you? And just stormed back inside. <laughs> I was blown away. I was blown away. I told, I, I, I told the story to my so dad funny. and my sisters and my uncles like in the next few days. And they were all like, particularly my uncles thought it was hilarious because they were trying to think of who said that. Because I bet I can identify him with the accent. Oh, man. That's but it so was, funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it was, it was totally a scene from this film, to be honest. <laughs> it was just that like small town aggression. Like, what are oh, you? Oh, God. And do you know the, a weird thing about... Um, how how dare you aspire to anything outside of there? Haven't you a great fucking life, haven't you? The thing is, as well, about people in the Yabba, is they're all quite nice, aren't they? Uh, disturbingly nice, but they seem to want, like, you have to completely destroy yourself, it seems. Well, if you want to hang out with them. It's a David Lynch kind of a place, isn't it? I mean, it seems that the big problem is it's a mining town and there's like thousands of men and about three women. Yeah. But then again, hints at some of the debauchery that's going on. Discontent is a luxury of the well to do. Oh, there we go. That's a quote from Doc. I'm going to continue. In the bar, John runs into local police officer Jock Crawford, played by celebrated Australian actor Chips Rafferty. In his final role, he died before the film was released. Rafferty insisted on drinking real beer in the bar scenes with Ted Kotcheff estimating that Chips was downing 30 pints a day. (laughs) How old old was he when he died? He was in his 60s, Uh, 62 or something. Uh, Rafferty was born in the time where Wake and Fright was largely filmed, Broken Hill, New South Wales, one of uh, the most remote uh, towns in, in all of New South Wales. Crawford and Grant start getting smashed before Jock takes John over to a restaurant with a backroom gambling den where a big group of men are betting on a coin-tossing game. John watches for a bit before sitting down to eat his food. At this point, John meets local doctor and vagrant Clarence F. Tyden, played by the great Donald Pleasance. This begins John's descent into moral debauchery. 
I was thinking about this, like, when I think of Donald Pleasance, I, I probably think of Halloween, which again is, a, is around a similar time. It's not, it's not so far, it's not so far apart, but like, I was really shocked to see Donald Pleasance playing this type of character. Well, I would probably think of him as uh, Ernst uh, Stavro Blofeld. Oh yeah, also Blofeld, sure. But at the same time, yeah, no matter what, I mean... He's, a, he's really good in this. This film is psychologically out there for any time yeah. it's made. Like, really, I think if they made this film today, it would be bold. Well, especially if they killed a bunch of kangaroos. Yeah, fair enough. But I, like, I get by... No, I, yeah, I, I, I also hear what you're saying. Yeah, but like, well, in terms of the alcoholism, the... I don't know what's going on with the sex stuff. <laughs> Do you know? I, 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 don't, I, I, I don't know what I, Donald Pleasance is actually getting I, up to. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it further. Do you know what this film is up to at all? What do you mean? Well, because it's like, because I don't. It's mad, mass. It's, it's like moral, moral horror. I think it's a lot about masculinity. I would say, but like, I, for me, this film, for me, this film represents. So, like, I'm coming up on one year sober. Now I'm not saying that <laughs> I'm not saying that I would be living like Donald Pleasance, but I can see that slide. I can see how it happens. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why I don't drink anymore. Yeah. That's one of the um that like I, I felt that too watching Donald Pleasance. Like you, you you're watching his den of iniquity and just going, Yeah, yeah, I can yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can get behind this. He yeah, doesn't. Yeah. He's like, uh, he, he's he's got a pretty easy life. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I know. Shoot some I know kangaroos. I know, ex- I know exactly what you mean by that. But it is frightening. Just when I don't know. I mean, how he spends a week out there before there's a break in the plot, right? And what happens in that week? Just madness. Just masculine madness. Just constant drinking. It's. What happens if you if you drink twenty four hours a day? <laughs> Is that what Australia's like? I think it's what this town might be like. I mean, I don't know about the real place, Broken Hill, but I'm guessing there's there's a lot of alcohol moving around. John goes back to the gambling den and starts betting. After winning a few rounds, he runs back to his hotel room to count his cash, realizing that he just needs one more win to pay off his study debt and free himself from teaching. He heads back into the gambling den, inevitably losing every penny. The artificial banknotes printed for shooting the two-up gambling sequence looked so realistic. The two extras were later arrested for trying to pass them off as genuine currency. (laughs) Quality. When John wakes up the next morning, we get to see Gary Bond's beautiful chiseled physique and and penis. Were you a fan? Yes. Me too. I found Bond, uh, as I mentioned earlier, found him to be extremely charismatic uh, he was clearly a classically trained actor from uh, the Michael Michael York School of Acting. The style of acting <laughs> that Matt Berry, the style of acting that Matt Berry has spent his whole life, his whole career. Yeah, 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 yeah. My aunt lives in Scotland. She says <laughs> it's quite nice. <laughs> and, Hello, uh, you might not we're be surprised. in Australia. <laughs> I hear you drink beer. <laughs> Uh, you might you might uh, not be surprised to find out that Michael York was actually offered the lead in the film, but I'm turned it down due to, due to the kangaroo hunting scene. <laughs> I'm not going Sorry. to do this movie. 
<laughs> because <laughs> I don't want to kill kangaroos. <laughs> I'm not up for that kind of shit. <laughs> so then uh <laughs> Grant, now penniless and trapped in the Yabba, goes back to the one place he can trust, the local bar. Here he meets Tim Hines, a local who piles sorry. Here he meets Tim Hines, a local who plies John with drink. I read plies as piles. Oh. I'm going to repeat that. Here, here he meets Tim Hines. I'm going to have to do this without laughing. Here he meets Tim Hines, a local who plies John with drink. Tim invites John back to his house for even more drunken shenanigans. Then we meet Jeanette, Tim's adult daughter, and soon after friends Dick and Joe, the most Australian men who've ever lived. I find that this uh, sequence um, perfectly captures the rhythm of drunkenness. Like, he just meets yeah, this guy, I mean, and then all of a sudden he's back to his house, and then all of a sudden these guys are arriving. Um, I think it, I've, it... I've definitely lived this. Yeah, 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 and it really 100%. captures it. It feels drunk, doesn't yeah. it? It feels yeah, like... Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. One, feel, two, feel drunk three, watching it. Yeah, yeah, it, it, I, I loved yeah. that. I, I, I thought that was fucking brilliant, how quickly yeah. all of that escalated. I thought that was great. John goes outside for a walk with Jeanette. When Jeanette wants John to have sex with her, he starts vomiting all over himself. Uh, again, we've all been there, right? Uh, Jeanette is played by Kotcheff's <laughs> wife at the time, English actress Sylvia Kay. Back at Tim's house, the doc, Donald Pleasance, has turned up and the drunken antics are reaching new levels. Everything is a blur for John. We see him being carried out of the house by some of the gang. The next morning, John wakes up in a disgusting rundown shack with the doc. The doc reveals that he's been living as a tramp for five years because he chooses to be an alcoholic and has no interest in money. The people of the Yabba are always happy to supply him with more beer and it seems literally impossible to drink too much there. He also reveals yeah. that he frequently has sex with Jeanette himself in what we can imagine are somewhat sordid conditions. I, at this point, was kind of like, okay, first of all, whatever is going on in this film is uncanny but true. Like they, like, And this is what I just mentioned describing the scene before. Like They perfectly kind of capture this just mad drunkenness, like this Bacallian fucking shit where just everybody is pissed all the time. And it's true. Like, you can relate to it. Even though it's weird and it's fantastical, you're watching it going, that is that is true as all holy hell. And then, all, then also, this is existentialism. So that's the Doc and John, I would say, versus kind of a stoicism, which is like John is not happy with where he is in life. But everybody else in that town, and that town is a shithole, just kind of gets on with it. I feel like there's an element to that there too. Existentialism versus stoicism, let's say. Go on. I'm trying to think of what the hell I was going to say. <laughs> it's completely gone. <laughs> <laughs> what were we just talking about before the you were talking about uh, yeah you're talking about all this. i don't know doc is oh yeah yeah i know what i was gonna say i know what i was gonna say this i was just thinking about it like the idea of those two living together is very reminiscent of bottom <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's basically bottom yeah 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 you're right so you've got these just these two 
drunken reprobates living in a dis- like disgusting like, squalor, just constantly Doc, drunk. Doc is basically the personification of the guy in the bear suit getting a blowjob from The Shining. He's just like this mad <laughs> yoke. Like, he's just mad. Actually, yeah, I remember when, um, like... Yeah, he's, he's like a bit of a kind of horror movie character. Yeah, like, I think... What's it? I think John first encounters him in the steakhouse, and then uh, later on in um, what what's his name's house in Tim's house, he leaves the room and he arrives back in, and Doc is doing handstands. <laughs> he's doing that a few times in the film. I definitely yeah, yeah, remember yeah. a couple of scenes where he's doing like uh, what's that called where you do a handstand and then drink. I don't know. I'm sure I've there's a name for it. it. I don't know. I, I, I never went to. I never went to college in the U.S. <laughs> the next scenes are the most controversial of the film. Big Dick and Joe come round to take John and the Doc out kangaroo hunting. The real hunt, although legally sanctioned, was supposedly a drunken orgy of killing, which the filmmakers chose to sabotage by orchestrating a power failure in order to end it early. The four men kill a number of kangaroos during the day before returning at night with a big spotlight and killing many more. One of the big miners, Joe, takes on a wounded kangaroo in hand-to-paw combat, eventually cutting its throat. John, inspired by seeing this, has a fight with a smaller kangaroo, stabbing it to death. How did you feel about this? Like, when I was watching it, I hadn't read anything about it, but while watching it, it's very clear that this is real. But then again, it just made me think, like, in the 70s, you see that a bit in 70s films, but... Apparently, when this was shown, it, when this was shown at Cannes in two thousand and nine, I think it was like when it was re-shown at Cannes, people walked out. Like quite a number of people walked out. But that just seems bizarre to me to go like, "Well, I'm walking out because you're showing imagery from the nineteen seventies of kangaroos being killed." Yeah, that is. But I mean, I mean, are you going to make me say on air that the hypocrisy? You think of killing Hollywood? kangaroos is cool? I don't know. I think. Being mates with Brian you Singer, do it, kids. it's cool. Don't kill kangaroos, kids. Even though they kick their faces s- off, they're scary animals. Yeah, they're very scary. When they go up on they go up on their tail and try to rip your insides out. Like Get I've seen, I, I've seen videos of kangaroos being scary, and they are scary. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that we should take a preemptive first strike. But no, 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 nor I, nor I. I'm not unless. offended by. I'm not like. I'm not offended by the footage of people hunting kangaroos. And also, I just uh, Ted Ted Kotcheff, uh went to great lengths to point out that he was a vegetarian. And he's a vegetarian, okay? And he oh, was okay nice. with it. Nice. Well, I hope you ended up mm. having sex with Donald Pleasant. He's actually still alive as well. Ken Kotcheff. Ted, yeah, Ted Ted Kotcheff, the director, is still alive. Well, I presume he's still living. He must be on like those a million years old. And living on Rambo royalties. Yeah, Rambo Royalties is a good name for, I don't know, whatever I don't know. Band, When, 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 a, when a, a royalty check from Wake and Fright arrives in the door, he probably goes, Oh, yes, I'm going to enjoy this money more than <laughs> oh, yeah, the other I money. made Wake and Fright. I made Wake and Fright. He's from Canada, so he probably speaks like that. To celebrate. So, yeah, after killing all the kangaroos, to celebrate, the group go back to a nearby bar and kick the drinking up to 11. This ends with John knocked out on the floor, Dick and Joe kicking the shit out of each other, and the Doc swinging a chair around to smash the bar windows. This is where yeah. I feel like a few more ladies in the town wouldn't go amiss. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's 
I mean, okay, this bar destruction scene and the scene that follows is pretty much where, I don't know, the film reveals its cards. Like, this is a film about masculinity and just right. the, I don't know. I don't even think it's a, that negative a portrayal of it, but, like, I think I think anybody who would express surprise at hearing that the Spartans were all gay, Wake and Fright would be a, a just a, a helpful countertext to suggest to them, yeah, maybe the Spartans were all gay, because there's such a fine line between all this hyper-masculinity and just fucking each other. It's funny thinking back on it now, because like even like in The Simpsons, you know, the Bart versus Australia episode of The Simpsons, it has yes. all those things. It has all these stereotypes of like the scene where Marge goes coffee and the guy goes, bah. Bah. and you realize that all of these films from the 70s and 80s, that was the Australia that they were showcasing. And I don't know if it's I'm sure it's not still that way. It can't still can't still be like that. I mean, uh, every Australian I know, <laughs> pretty much every Australian I know is like eh, similar to British and Irish people, I guess, is fairly alcohol positive, let's say. Mm-hmm. But like that, the stereotype of Australia is is like a yeah, is, as you say, is like a hyper masculine beer lover. Yeah, I just like I think in that kind of sequence and like how what a frenzy they go on with the violence and everything that just that's like kind of masculinity it's like men will get along if there aren't women women have a civilizing effect on men this is true right and without them there yeah they do i mean like this isn't just me inventing it like Women, no, of course. The the have you ever heard of the Women's Temperance League? There no. was a there the these were like a group of Christian women that made an effort mm-hmm. to move out to the west of America and marry men to just settle that crazy part of America in the early eighteen hundreds. This is like women have a set a, a, a civilizing effect upon men, and if you watch this, like. <laughs> Donald Pleasance just smashing the bar for no reason as John Grant is passed out on the floor. <laughs> I, I, I also a hundred percent either done that or seen that myself. Uh, yeah, w- one thing I'll, I'll say to you is like uh, I the year we did the Fringe together, there was one year myself and uh, my sister ended up in a bar near her house, and she lives close to the uh, foot of Leith Walk, let's say. And there's some bars around that area that are just... Some of those are quite rough. From another fucking planet. And yes. And we were passing this one bar, and I was like, oh, like I saw karaoke was inside, and I was like, oh, I'd love to do karaoke. <laughs> I could tell you which bar that is. It's called The Marksman. <laughs> it's on, if you want, if anyone's listening to this wants to go to, to check that bar out, it's on Great Junction Street in, in Edinburgh. And it's uh, rough as all holy fuck. <laughs> yes. So, like, we went in there, and I'm there singing a song, and it was only when I was singing the song was I realized, this is another planet to the one that I live on. This is a really rough bar. Um, Like, (laughs) lads were eyeing me like, get the fuck off the fucking mic, son. And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't realize, (laughs) fellas, I'm sorry. It's very similar to Wake and Fright. Yeah, it is. But this film resolves those 
issues in in its own way, I suppose. Yeah. So John and uh, John and the Doc end up back at the shack, enter into a bit of play fighting, which devolves into a homosexual episode. The next morning, John wakes up and hitchhikes out of town. After a few rides, he finds a trucker who agrees to drive him to the city, which John thinks means Sydney. However, upon waking up at the end of the journey, John finds himself back in the Yabba. Feeling disgusted by everything that's happened to him, he sprints over to the Doc's shack with his rifle, presumably, presumably looking to kill the Doc. After finding no one there, he turns the gun on himself, just as the Doc walks in. John wakes up in the hospital where Jock Crawford is reading a statement explaining that John had an accident, saving him the embarrassment of a suicide attempt. When he gets out to hospital, he's greeted by the doc who drives him over to the station. John takes the train back to Taboonda in preparation for the next school term, living the Australian dream. Yes, but I think he's kind <laughs> of got, I think he's kind of gotten over himself a bit by that point, no? Like I think you the mean arc, like gotten over. I think the arc of the film is him because I think he's a bit of a dick, basically, and I also think most of the local people are all right. He's a dick in as much as you mean he's doing a job that he thinks he's better than, and I guess he's interacting yes, with people that yes. he thinks he's better than because yes. he's he's like he's from Sydney. I think the only Although he's clearly other... English. <laughs> yes, clearly. <laughs> I think That's... he's supposed to be Australian, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's clearly English. Yes. No, wait, wait. I did Sean Connery. <laughs> Confused now. I can't picture I can't, I can't speak like him anymore. There we go. They've all gone to Long Stanton Spice <laughs> Museum. I don't know. I think, like, I, he's a bit of a dick. Like, I think him and Doc are basic, are just two sides of the same coin, I would say. And then everybody else is just, I don't know, they're okay with their lot. They're more stoic well, everyone than else existentialist. Is, they're all locals, so they're like accustomed to that life. That's their life. But people who've dropped into it are like, fucking hell, people choose to live this way. And for Doc, okay, yeah, he just goes down this crazy path of essentially just drinking. And, you know, he says that he, he works as a doctor there. He drinks so much, but... Everyone else is clearly getting smashed all the time. I mean, there's a scene in the bar where there's, it looks like there's about 500 guys and it's just, yeah, what a great business. I hope, I really hope that COVID hasn't hurt that bar too much because they were doing a fucking roaring trade. That does look mad, doesn't it? Have you ever been in a bar like that? Not to that level, but I mean, I've certainly been in, I mean, I, it reminds me of some bars in Edinburgh <laughs> where people, I mean, it's just, you know, any like Weatherspoons has that sensation. It's just like people fucking shoveling massive amounts of alcohol over bars into their mouths. Both good films this week. I preferred the first one that we discussed. I preferred uh, The Year My Voice Broke, but um, I, I really like both of them. What about you? I'm st I'm still waiting for my voice to break, so we'll see. I like them both. I thought they were great. I they're I mean, you've got obviously you've got like a coming of age tale versus yeah, this kind of uh, horrible moral thriller, scuzzy uh, weird moral, moral yeah. degradation thriller. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like them both. They show different aspects of Australian culture. And, uh, yeah, I, they, they, they make me want to watch more Australian films and also to visit Australia. Have you got an Australian film for the chopping block this week? 
I do not. Well, I guess I kind of do because my film for this week is uh, directed by Kate Shortland. Speaking of Australian coming-of-age films, one of my favorite films of all time is uh, Kate Shortland's Somersault, which I think I may have mentioned at some point. I don't know if that ever was... I don't know if I cut that at some point or if I No, said it, no, but, you mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, okay, Somersault, Somersault by Kate Shortland is one of my favorite films ever, so... I've been meaning to catch up on the rest of her films. I still haven't seen Lore, and obviously neither of us have seen Black Widow yet, <laughs> which I'm guessing might not be of the same standard given it's in the MCU. But uh, I, I'm, I've selected her third film, Berlin Syndrome. Sweet. Okay. Which I believe you've seen already. I have seen, and I really, mm. really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Okay. Um, I Bizarre. am. I'm bringing in a classic. I'm introducing a classic right here. Billy Wilder's 1950s film, The Apartment. Yep. I haven't seen it. And of course, it's one of those classic films, obviously like a major Jack Lemmon film, Billy Wilder, and as you said. Ju so. Just uh, for notation, if I win this week, I'll get to see that in the cinema. Okay. But yeah. if you don't win, are you not going? Or can you only justify no, going not, if you win the toss? <laughs> I'm not going to go if I, if I don't win, to be honest. I'm just not. <laughs> it's more of the fact that does I would... You, wait, does, your, I would, I would does feel, your girlfriend listen to this? Uh, sometimes. She's listened a couple of times. <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. When we talk about things that you and I... Uh, sorry, that uh, Belen and I watch together, then, yeah, she wants to hear your opinion. Oh, she wants you... Okay, that's interesting. That is really what it is. Like, she's told me. She wants to hear what you say about it. <laughs> Because she knows my opinion. Okay. It's uh, it's another, it's 20 or like what looks like a kind of, it looks like one of those, what are they called? Like a kaiju from Pacific Rim. So it's 20 or kaiju. I'll take the 20. Good choice. And the answer is kaiju. Ah, oh, fuck. I'm sorry. Okay. My apologies, because I also wanted to watch the apartment as well. Okay, so so what you would have won? I chose uh, Jack Lemmon film as well, which he was Oscar nominated for, I believe, and also because I'm coming up on a a year of sobriety, so I went for 1962's Days of Wine and Roses. Oh, that's a great film. But, uh, oh, there we go. Well, it was to be, but it is not. And what I will bring as a response is, as you have just said, one of your favorite films ever, uh, Somersault. I want to watch it. Ah, oh, lovely. Awesome. Have you seen it before? No, never seen it. Oh, great. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching Somersault again. It's been ages. Now I've got an excuse. I have to watch it. I might actually, I might watch Lower as well, just so that I've finally complete the, the Kate Shortland collection. Do it. Do it, but Andre. no, but no obligation, <laughs> no obligation for you to watch it. No, but yeah, I might, I'll watch all. I'm gonna watch all three. <laughs> all right, bye, listeners. I love you. Bye, I'm listeners. I don't have strong opinions about you. No, no. Listen, if you're listening to this, you are you. You are one of Andy's people. I'll put you on my list, on my special <laughs> list. <laughs> Well, can, I'll give you a badge or something. Well, I Or never. an STD, whatever you prefer. I'm putting you on my list of enemies. <laughs> there. You're in for it Only now, joking. Tony. <laughs> You're in for it now, Tony.
Tony. <laughs> Tony, Tony, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Look what I've really written. Okay. Uh, I'm going to press stop. I love you all. Bye-bye. Me too. Bye-bye.